The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Tech Talk Radio. It's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Andrew Mitchell. And there's a lot of technology stuff going on this week uh, that's very interesting. Um, uh, Russia's trying to shut down Wikipedia. We'll talk about Wikipedia's response to that and the request from Russia that they edit some of the pages. And Ukrainians are flocking to the encrypt, end-to-end encryption act signal because it's uh, they can talk and they and their messages can't be intercepted. This week, we're going to feature the founder of the anonymous hacking group that has currently uh, decided they're going to hack Russian websites. So I thought I'll go back and give a bit of the history on anonymous. It's an interesting, uh, interesting story. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Ovette in Woodbridge. Dear Doc and Andrew, I'm thinking of becoming a developer. What programming languages should I start learning? I hope to get a job about a year from now, Ovette in Woodbridge. Well, Ovette, uh, software engineering is one of the most sought after careers. Jobs growth for programmers is expected to increase by 21% between 2018 and 20, uh, between 2018 and 2028. That's four times the national average. Uh, now, here's some of the most promising programming languages. Python. Python is probably the easiest to learn. It's very readable. It was, it was meant to be almost English-like. And there are many, many applications that are written in Python. A lot of the machine learning applications are written in Python. Now, I'd recommend here, in the case of Python, you can go to Udemy. They've got a, a short course there. Right now, it's only $15. And they have around 20, 20 applications that you can like making a clock or making a to-do list in Python. Go through and actually do those applications and you'll be well on your way to learning Python. A lot of people choose Python as their first language because it's one of the easiest ones to learn and most versatile. Doc, what uh, was that website you just mentioned? Udemy? What, what were Udemy. You Udemy, yeah. Let's see. Uh, let's see. What's the spelling on that? Yeah. Udemy. Let's see. I think it's, let me just see. Yeah, udemy.com. Okay. Udemy.com. And uh, that has uh, many, uh, many free courses. And just search for Python, and you'll find, you'll find lots of courses. Uh, and these are all like the, uh, like, the, like the Python for Beginners course. I mean, you could finish it in a week. Now, a second language that is worth pursuing is Java. Now, Java has been around for decades. It's one of the most used programming languages in the enterprise. It was, it's uh, for many large-scale applications, it's a very popular choice. If you want a, a, any kind of developer job in a large corporation, you're going to have to know Java. Now, Java is uh, 
is object-oriented language. It, it, the learning curve for Java is a little bit more than you would have for, uh, for Python, but it's, um, it's, it's really a must language. It was really developed uh, as a replacement for C++, which was another object-oriented language. It was hard to learn. C++ tended not to manage, uh, manage memory very well, and, uh, and, they, and it was hard to clear unused memories. And, and with Python, they, they wanted to fix the deficiencies of C++ I mean, with Java. So, uh, so Java is a very good one. And the Udemy website also has some Java for, beginning, for beginner classes. And the, and the key, when you learn a programming language, you have to do something. It, you just don't read a book and memorize the syntax. That would be like a writer wants to learn how to write, so they memorize the dictionary. That, that, that's not it. Uh, you, have to, you have to actually work on projects. And, um, and so that, that Udemy class will have a few projects there in Java. Now... If you want to work on high-performance languages, uh, these are these are languages that uh, that talk directly to the hardware. C was really the it would really be the language of choice to learn. Like for instance, the Unix operating system was written in C. It's a uh, and so if uh, if you uh, are really going to become a hardcore developer and actually write programs that talk directly to a hardware C. And, and then if you want to become even more hardcore, you could go to C++, which is a variation of C, but they basically created functions that make it object-oriented like. And so, uh, but those should be your third and fourth because those are more difficult to learn. So start with Java, start with Python, then Java, and then, uh, you know, I would go with, C, uh, and once you've learned C, then you could learn C++ if you'd want, and uh, just work on projects. But but best of luck, Ovet. I think with a year time frame, you should be able to actually work on some real projects in the year, and you should be able to land some a developer job. Good luck. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc and Andrew, I stumbled across this article describing the planned update of version of C that Linux uses. I would not realized that the current systems, Linux systems, use such an outdated version of C. They're moving from the 1989 version to the 2011 version. What do you think of this, Doc? All the best, your faithful listener, Bob in Maryland. Well, Bob, Linux is written in C. <laughs> but, I mean, Unix was written in C, and then Unix was ported to PCs, and, and the port was called Linux. Of course, it's still written in C. And it was written in an old C dialog. The, the 1989 version is called C89. Now, Linus Torvalds, who actually did the port uh, and created the Linux kernel, he said, enough is enough. we got to move to the more recent standard. So he's going to port it to the 2011, which they're going to, the C11 version of C. Now, it's not that big of a transition because... The C89 is almost, has almost universal support. And because any compiler is backward compatible with er earlier variations, you'll actually be able to compile the old version of Linux on, on a C11 compliant compiler. So the movement is not going to require a huge amount of recoding, but it'll just, it'll just give them more options as they develop and evolve the, the kernel going forward. 
We got an email from John in Bethesda, dear Tech Talk. I got three semesters of important notes stored on a USB flash drive. My friend wants to borrow that drive so he can use the notes to study for a certification exam. I can't afford to lose these files for any reason. They can't be recreated. Is there some way that I can prevent my friend from accidentally deleting files from the drive? Unfortunately, this particular drive doesn't have a write protect switch. Any help you can provide would be greatly appreciated, John and Bethesda. John, uh, well, there are several ways you can enable write protection on a USB drive, but none of them are really that easy to enact, and none of them are 100% foolproof. But John, why would you give your only copy of important files to somebody and hope that they don't drop it in the toilet? In my opinion, you should actually make a copy of those files onto another flash drive, which you could buy literally for, you know, 20 bucks. And, and then you could loan him the copy and, uh, and keep the original one there. And, and by the way, I'd recommend that you buy two flash drives and you make a backup of your flash drive because there's no guarantee that your flash drive is not going to become corrupted too. So, you know, the only way to protect data, back it up. We got an email from Hawk in Bowie. Dear Tech Talk, I installed an app on my iPhone, but I can't find it. I thought the new app always went to the home screen, but this one didn't. How can I find it so I can add it to the home screen? My phone's an iPhone 12 with iOS 15. Hawk in Bowie. Well, Hawk, I mean, this. a lot of people lose their apps on the iPhone. They, you know... The, the iPhone tends to, they've got this, um, they, they tend to group them for you automatically sometimes. Under the new apps, they don't put everything on the home screen because people are having so many, uh, so many pages on their home screen, they couldn't find anything anyway. So Apple kind of has been moving things around. Now, the best way to find the app, and, and see, Apple may not have put it on the home screen. They might have put it in a, in a, uh, in a folder called New, new Apps. So what you want to do is you uh, swipe left uh, on your home screen until you come up with what they call the app library. And this, this lists all the apps that are installed. And then you can simply, in the search box, you can search for the app. You start typing it. It'll come right up. And then, you can, then you'll see the app's icon that will show up. And you can tap and hold it. And then you can drag it over to the home screen. Just drag it over to the left, and it will go to the next. It will go to the next screen, and it'll be on one of the pages of your uh, of your home screen. And then, if you want to put it on the front page, the first page, you can keep dragging it to the left until you get to the front page. So you'll you'll be able to find it easily. I mean, I've got people that can't find apps all the time. You can also, if you don't want to go to to the app library, you can simply pull down pull down the home screen, and a search box will show up, and you can type in the name of the app, and you'll you'll see the app right away. So. I think you'll have no trouble getting your app and moving it around so you can find it conveniently. We got an email from uh, Peter in Fairfax, Virginia. Dear Tech Talk, I have an email exchange account with my work, and I'd like to add it to my, the Microsoft Mail client, client on my Windows 10 computer. I already have Gmail in this client. How can I do this, Peter in Fairfax? Well, Peter, Microsoft Mail in, 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 in Microsoft Windows is very convenient because you can have multiple email accounts within Mail. 
And you don't have to have a separate Gmail account and a separate uh, Exchange server. You, you can have all in one in one email client, and that I use it all the time. So what you want to do is uh, it's very easy. You can easily install uh, a, an Exchange account from Business on Microsoft Mail. You simply open up the Mail app, and on the left there will be a column. Go to the top, and it, you'll see something called Accounts. Click on Accounts. And then that will bring up another menu that will list all the, the accounts that are currently installed. And, and down at the bottom of that, you'll see something that says add account. So click on add account and you'll have different choices like Gmail or Yahoo. But one of the choices is going to say Office 365 comma exchange. Click on that one. And then you'll enter your office email address and you'll put continue. Then it will ask you to put in the password to your office account, and then it will. Then you click on create, and then you're done. Now it may take a few minutes for to synchronize with your mail server. And what I had to do, I just I just did this. Uh, I just went through this process last week on on my mail account, and it didn't install right away. So I I did a reboot on my computer. And then when I came back, uh, it synchronized with the mail server within a, within a few minutes, and I, I had all my emails. So that was actually quite easily done. Uh, so uh, listen, uh, let me just do one more email, and then I think we're going to be done here. Uh, got an email from Audrey in Manhattan. Dear Tech Talk. How can I retrieve a forgotten Wi-Fi password from my Windows 11 PC? Now, uh, now I I, uh, I I figured that I could probably do it. I just don't know where to go. Well, what you want to do, Audrey, you, you can easily you can easily retrieve passwords from Windows 11. What you want to do is connect the computer to the Wi-Fi network that you want to retrieve. Right-click on the start start button and then click Settings, and that'll take you to the overall settings for windows and then within the settings window click on network and internet and then the right hand pane will come down and you can click on advanced network settings and then you can click on more network adapter options and then you can right click on the wi-fi connections and then you can select status and then wireless properties and then the security tab. I'm going to give a whole list of this at the uh, at the uh, at the uh, at the uh, show notes that'll be out on the on the website on Monday. And then on the security tab, you just put show characters on the box beside the Wi-Fi network you want to get. It'll ask you for your security code when you log into your computer, and bingo, you'll see it. So it's very easy to get it if you just go to the Wi-Fi settings and tap all the way down to the Wi-Fi properties on a particular device, and you'll get it right away. So uh, it's a very convenient way to reclaim a lost Wi-Fi password. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We most certainly will. And here's a bit of news. The founder of Anonymous doesn't want to stay anonymous anymore. He wants everyone to know who he is and what he's done. So we'll meet him. We'll name him Aubrey Cottle next in Profiles in IT on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. 
the need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time? With an education that fits your schedule, Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Aubrey Cottle. Aubrey Cottle, C-O-T-T-L-E, is a Canadian hacker, computer security researcher, software engineer, who is best known as founder of the anonymous hacking cooperative. They call them hacktivists, hacking activists. Cottle was born, I mean, there's very little known about his personal life, actually. He's extremely secretive. He was born in 1986 or 1987 in Canada. He's married, but little is known about his personal life. From April of 2005 to June of 2007, he was a computer technician for the Alpha Beta Services in Toronto, Canada. He performed basic web development, server-side shell scripting. He set up management a management sales system. He set up the office administration networks. He did hardware and software troubleshooting, sort of a standard IT guy. Uh, from June of 2007 to the present, he's actually served as web developer for the Taima Lab, T-A-I-M-A Lab in Toronto. Now, he's uh, he basically, for the Taima Labs, he helps businesses build a quality web presence. That's that's probably his go-to money-making job. He's, had, he's, he's been doing that, it looks like, probably on a contract basis since 2007. Now, Caudill was an active user of the 4chan channel. <clears throat> you can go to 4chan.org. And another channel called Something Awful in the mid-2000s. Uh, and uh, uh, 4chan, I mean, you know, th these, are, these are chat groups. Uh, you know, 2chan started in Japan, actually. And then these guys created a 4chan chat group, 4chan.org. And, uh, and they started uh, talking about hacking uh, tools and uh, how to hack, how to bring down sites, some zero-day you know, zero vulnerabilities, all of that sort of stuff. And, and, and a lot of the uh, topics that they talked about were actually illegal to do. So these guys would post their entries on the uh, 4chan chat group as anonymous. So they wouldn't put their email address or their name. So over time, all the chat activities on 4chan were 
deemed anonymous. Now, during that, now in these hacking cooperatives, you've got different levels of people. You've got the really good programmers who write the tools and teach people how to use the tools. You have other people who learn how to use the tools and apply the tools and maybe write scripts that could automate the use of these tools. And then you've got the real beginners that can't do anything, but they can run a script to do something. They call them script kiddies. So you've got different levels of, of knowledge. And Aubrey Caudill was one of, was one of the highest level. He, he's one of the guys who's actually developing the, uh, the tools. Now, now what's interesting, uh, the guys that develop the tools, they may not deploy them. They may get the script kiddies or the newbies to deploy them. And so it's the newbies who get arrested because it's not illegal to write a tool. It's just illegal to use the tool to hack on something. Now, during this time, uh, for some reason, Aubrey Caudill got totally irritated with the Church of Scientology, and they started hacking the Scientology websites and trying to dox all the Scientology members, find out where their money was going. And they were particularly going after a guy who they believed was... Uh, was uh, was part of the Scientology group, Hal Turner. So they started going after him. Now that's when the when they were going after Scientology. That's when they came up with sort of the image of anonymous. And that's where Aubrey Caudill came up with the image for anonymous. He, he claims that he picked the guy fox mask as their logo. That's the guy. That's the mask. The guy's a mustache and uh, and they. And that when anytime people anonymous talk on the web, they put this guy Fox mask on. Yeah, you know and, much and about here's, Guy here's, Fox? Here's what the uh, the Guy Fox mask guy says here. By the way, this is a okay. standard too as part of their uh, threat language. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. So there's your standard boilerplate threat. That's right. <laughs> So it turns out Guy Fox, I, I really didn't know much about him. He was best known as a member of the Gunpowder Plot, which was an attempt to blow up the House of Lords in on November 5th, 1605. <laughs> so, and so they were, I guess, that must be their hero, Guy Fox, who was like, you know, you know, yes. revolting against the man. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So one of the tools that they created in that uh, in this anonymous group, that the, the chat group for in, on 4chan, was the low orbit ion cannon, which is a distributed denial of service attack. The low orbit ion cannon allows users to flood a server with uh, uh, TCP or UDP packets. TCP, uh, this, that's the protocol, the Internet Transmission Control Protocol. And uh, and they could flood it with packets and just load it down so it couldn't respond to you know to normal traffic, and uh, and uh, the low orbit ion cannon was originally developed for stress testing uh, app stress testing your you know your site or your website, but if enough people used it, they could bring down a site. So, Doc, it, I'm guessing that low orbit ion cannon is kind of a jokey name. I mean, it doesn't actually technically describe anything, does it? No, I mean, it's just a joke. Yeah, yeah. It's basically just sending uh, TCP packets or UDP packets, a lot of them at a particular 
destination. So that became the signature weapon for Anonymous to bring down sites. Now, what happened was, as I said, you got all of these different people. You've got the developers. You've got people who can actually write scripts to deploy the tools. You've got people that just use it. So all these beginners came in, and they didn't know about masking their IP address, internet protocol address on the internet. And they started, they said, hey, let's just bring down the site, guys. Download the low-orbit ion cannon, point it at the site, and go. So all these newbies did it but they didn't mask their IP address. So after Anonymous started attacking all these sites, the feds came in and started arresting people. And there was one guy got, he, he was arrested. He got uh, a year in jail for, you know, being, for instigate, for being part of the distributed denial of service attack on a, on a website. So all these newbies that didn't know anything, uh, exposed themselves because they didn't, they didn't know how to hide their IP address. So, Frequently, that's what's done. The sophisticated guys write the tools, but they have other people do the dirty work. Uh, now, after all these people started getting arrested back in 2010, 2011, Aubrey Caudill, he said, I'm, I'm out of here. I, 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 I got to because he actually had legitimate web development jobs and he was earning money on legitimate jobs. He just he didn't. It was getting, I think the heat was getting a little too much in the kitchen. So, so he just cut down his hacking activities and just sort of left anonymous. I mean, anybody can claim they're anonymous. People kept using the Guy Fawkes mask. They kept, they kept doing things in the name of anonymous because it's just a loose cooperative. Anybody can claim to be anonymous. And then, uh, then Aubrey Cottle, he started another channel, 420chan. Uh, and it focused on drug culture, LGBT discussions, and some hacking, but not not much hacking. And that 420 is a moniker that uh, it comes out of the drug world. You get high at 420 in the afternoon, or there's uh, everybody gets there's a National Marijuana Day on April 20th, I, I guess. And so 420 became a you know a, a popular number in in the drug culture. So his was 420 Chan, and he just he was quite, um, quite happy, uh, quite happy, uh, uh, you know, just getting out of the whole hacking field. Now, remember, he was anonymous. I mean, he was Canadian. So what, what kind of brought him back was 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 the Canadian truck driver. So, but but so while he was while he was in his, uh, you know, sort of just. Uh, just, um, you know, in his non-hacking mode, he, he was basically did a lot of development work. From 2014 to 2019, he was lead developer for the Techno Space in uh, Ontario. He performed full stack development of in, for inter, internal utilities, analytic report, customer management, work order management. Full stack means you actually have the, the web-facing side, of the, of the site as well as the back end. You do the back end as well as the front end of any of any website. From from 2017 to 2018, he was senior front end manager for Ericsson. Ericsson, of course, is a, uh, is a cell phone company. Uh, they make cell phones. That was in Toronto, Canada. In, uh, in December of 2020, he formed his own consulting group. <laughs> I don't know if this is the Butt Security Group, B-U-T-T. <laughs> As in, as in, cover your butt. That's right. It's an information technology consultant organization. Oh, dedicated to protecting 
your sensitive assets yes. from, deep, from deep penetration. Yes, you're oh. absolutely. So, you know, the thing is, it's memorable, <laughs> it, and it's a very good business name because it tells you what they do. That's right. It exactly. does. It does. <laughs> now, now, you go to his LinkedIn account, it lists his current job as <laughs> shady person with weird friends. <laughs> okay. Who does freelance work for the internet? So I guess all of his work for uh, for anonymous, he was doing freelance work for the internet, not for a person. Now, he was basically dormant in the whole hacking culture from around 2011 to 2020. He came back in August of 2020, uh, and and what brought him back was the. Uh, uh, jo- the George Floyd protests. And he came back and and he led the hacking effort for Blue Leaks, where they were hacking law enforcement uh, police websites and they were doxing the police officers, giving their name, their addresses, their social security numbers, their family members. And Reuters named Cottle as one of those responsible for the blue, what they called it, the Blue Leaks breach. That was in June of 2020, and this is when uh, and then they, and they reused the video of the guy Fox mask then, and they were saying greetings from the citizens of the United States. This is a message from anonymous to the Minneapolis Police Department. We will be exposing your many crimes to the world. We are legion. Expect us. Now, in August of 2020. Uh, Cottle decided to reveal himself in a uh, in a letter in a, in an article written for the Atlantic. Now, in that article, he he said at this point his only goal is to bring down QAnon. He was, you know, I guess QAnon was his next target after the Minneapolis Police Department and after the Church of Scientology, and so he was going after QAnon, and he. He, he went after Jim Watkins, and uh, and he was trying to collect Jim Watkins to child porn. Uh, he was just focused on that. Uh, then he decided, I'm going to go do white hacking. And he joined a white hacking group, not a black hacking group. White hacking group does good things. And he joined Sakura Samurai. And, uh, and they were involved with trying to shore up the United Nations find out what's going on with the United Nations. They were trying to, uh, to uh, you know, to you know, to do good things. In particular, they tried to tried to validate the vulnerability of Ford's website. So they were using hacking tools for good. But he, he resigned from uh, from that group because he said it's going to be conflicted with his other activities. Because then he decided to move to the dark side again. And he came back out in November of 2020. He exploited security flaws in Parler. That, that of course, was the uh, Trump social networking service that they were trying to launch. Uh, and he tried to expose all of the logs and all the user ideas within Parler. Then he uh, logged on to Is It Wet Yet? That belongs to Jim Watkins. That's... Uh, that is actually uh, that. That's actually the guy who was behind QAnon. So he started doxing Jim Watson again, and he and he was uh, and then he went after Q Alerts and Q Alone, and he got all of the uh, sort of the back end data from those websites. Then 
he decided to put his focus on the uh, truckers, the uh, the trucker caravan in Canada. I mean, it was actually, you know, it was probably affecting him because he's in Toronto. So remember the trucker uh, caravan, they had raised funds on the GoFundMe site and then GoFundMe uh, locked their $10 million. And they went to another website called Give, Send, Go. That was a, a, a Christian uh, website. And he was so teed off with the hackers and uh, the truckers and people who were supporting them. He hacked the Give, Send, Go website, and he released all the names of the people who contributed to that. He, and he doxed them. And then the, the press ran with that. So here he is. Uh, he was just on TikTok last month uh, talking about all the things that he's been doing recently and taking full and personal credit for it. I hacked Epic Hosting! I hacked Parler! I hacked Gab! I hacked Truth Social! I hacked Go! Gibson Go! I don't care! Okay, sounding very much calm and <laughs> reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> and making a cogent argument. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, Andrew and I were talking about it. We think that maybe he could be a little bit high. Yeah, a little bit of 420. Yeah. He was like, that rant went on and on, and there really there was there was only 13 seconds that we could play on the air. <laughs> yes, those are yeah, really. And th the thing is that so the thing to uh, know about this is that he's sort of live with a sort of almost like a podcast setup with a mic, and he's on camera, but he's reading, and you see the scrolling as people are are um, are messaging him, and so he was responding specifically to messages. But as he was doing <laughs> doing this, he was getting more and more agitated. So he, he was. I I, I was. It was interesting to actually see him. He's, uh, I, I think he's a good programmer, but I think he's just gone a, a little bit off the um, off the deep end on this thing. But he, you really, it's really hard to know what it, what his target is. It's just people he doesn't like. He didn't like the trucker, so he went after that. He didn't like QAnon. He didn't like the Church of Scientology. But but now, and now he's doing, most recently, and this yeah, is how I even this is got the on thing. Bonus, he doesn't like Russia because there they attacked Ukraine. Yes, yes. <laughs> So, he so has, he's now actively involved in bringing down Russian websites and taking taking quite, uh, you know, quite, uh, you know, taking credit for it. So something happened in 2021. He decided to become the public face of Anonymous. And up to that point, he had been anonymous. Nobody knew who was behind Anonymous. I, I really don't know why he decided to do that. But I would say he's clearly not doing anything that he wants that he thinks he can get arrested for. So, you know, probably he won't get arrested for hacking Russian websites or other places like that. And, and maybe he's got other people that are actually doing the dirty work, as many of these guys do. He might have other people that are doing it. I, w I looked at his Facebook page. He has a lot of tutorials on there on how to set up tools, how to how to, you know, how to how to set up your computer so people can learn from him. He's sort of you know, he's sort of running a, a mini hacking school, and I think he and I think that's how he gets his followers. I mean, February 2020, Anonymous hacked three uh, sites for the Russian news agency, and many other sites around Russia, and they're still they're still on this thing. So, there you go. All you would want to know about the Anonymous hacking group and Aubrey Cottle. Hmm. So, Anonymous, good or bad? 
We get Doc's take on that in a moment, so pour yourself a coffee, pull up a chair. Observations from the Faculty Lounge next on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time? With an education that fits your schedule, Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for observations from the faculty lounge. Anonymous, is it good or is it bad? And there are a lot of opinions on this. To some critics, the protest actions taken under the banner of anonymous will be used by the government to exercise their repressive impulses. Internet critic uh, Eugenie Morozov puts his position in no uncertain terms. Hacktivists keep supplying the industry with strong examples as to why more public money should be spent beefing up internet security and surveillance while eliminating online anonymity. Now, to others, Anonymous represents the finest the internet has to offer. Anonymous demonstrates that one of the core aspects of power in a network democratic society, that individuals are vastly more effective and less susceptible to manipulation, control, and suppression by traditional sources of power than they ever been. They can actually remain anonymous and do things. Now, both perspectives are valid, but but a little bit incomplete. I mean, anonymous is like in, unstable, incoherent. There's really no individual that controls it. Anybody can get a Guy Fox mask and, and, and do their logo and claim to do an anonymous. So there are a lot of rogue anonymous cells out there that are doing all kinds of stuff. And uh, some of them are good, like Robin Hood, and some of them are really evil. Now, the one thing that we can say uh, over the history of Anonymous, there's never been 
like a large scale effort, say, to bring down our power grid or to bring down major infrastructure. Anonymous has typically not tried to do damage of that sort. They tend to focus on people or organizations they don't like for one reason or other or another and, and harass them. Now, I think the reason that it's possible for Anonymous to do these things, because the basic infrastructure of the internet, TCP IP, was really built back in an age, back, it was actually developed in the summer of 1973 back, and it was only for universities to share data. And the whole internet infrastructure was set up on a, on a basis of trust. And so you could, you know, you could, you could spoof your IP, uh, you could spoof your email address. You, you, you never have to validate who you are because it just assumes if you were on the internet as, as a university member, you would be trustworthy. And so that basic uh, lack of security at its core has, has allowed this uh, anonymous operation to function. I, I do think in general, we've got to tighten up the protocol on the internet to at least so you can't have anonymous emails out there. I, um, I would say um, on average, uh, it's, uh, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Uh, I, I think there are too many script kiddies that get hooked up into this thing who don't know what they're up to. What do you think about it, uh, uh, Andrew? So all in all, though, even black hat uh, hacking is, is kind of good in the sense that, you know, the vulnerability is there. So I'm going to sort of uh, take the point of of the first uh, of the first person you quoted who who said mm -hmm. you know it keeps supplying the industry with example as to why they should be beefing up internet security but I don't think that's a bad thing beefing up internet security ultimately helps all of us so yeah. so I feel like you know even the bad things always it's bad to dox for example the the mistake they made in Ferguson after the the Michael Brown um, arrest there uh, was the um, the fact that they identified the wrong uh, cop as to who shot Michael Brown, you know, that's a bad thing. But on the other hand, doesn't it create, you know, make police departments understand again, we have to protect our cops, we have to protect their personal information, and they have to find better ways to have to do security. So in the end, there's a net effect that's good. Yeah, so it's, uh, it is. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think on average, uh, I would say that's probably a good thing, because it it actually does uh, reveal vulnerabilities that, that need to be that need to be uh, taken a care taken care of, and that's why there are so many security patches because these guys discover all kinds of vulnerabilities. So, um, and there's really at this point with the basic infrastructure of the internet, there's no way to stop it, uh, but you can just uh, go after them if they do something illegal. Right. So let's uh, let's talk about uh, the. Billionaire crypto couple that got caught with a gift card. So this is this was the problem. This particular couple, it was uh, Ilya Dutch Leichenstein. He's 34. His wife Heather Morgan. Uh, they actually stole a lot of Bitcoin back in 2016. They hacked a virtual exchange, the Bitfinex which was a, um, a virtual exchange. I think, of, I think it was in Singapore. I'm not quite certain. And they hacked it back in 2016. And they transferred uh, a lot of Bitcoin to their personal wallet. Uh, it was 2,000 unauthorized transactions. And now, back when they did that in 2016, Bitcoin was worth a lot less. 
and they and they transferred what would have been worth about seventy million dollars back then. In today's Bitcoin value, it's worth about four point five billion dollars. So they had all this money in their Bitcoin wallet, and uh, and then the question was, how can they uh, how can they uh, extract that money without being identified? So that that was their problem. They uh, you know, and so they tried to use a lot of sophisticated tools to to get rid of the money, and you can. Uh, you know, to transfer the money, but it's very hard to transfer the money uh, too quickly. So one way to do it is with a gift card. So they they bought a gift card online, transferred the money into the gift card uh, item. Now, uh, but they didn't pick up the gift card at, at the store. They actually had it mailed to their home address. And the, um, and the, uh, the officers were able to track down that particular transaction and they could go to the gift card company and they could find out exactly where they mailed it and that was the actually transaction that brought them down uh they they actually had had used a lot of gift cards they had gift cards for uber they had gift cards for hotels.com they had playstation gift cards they 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 actually were cashing out with gift cards there's they also were using uh a bitcoin atms they would transfer money to a Bitcoin ATM and they would get out cash. That was the, but what they discovered, it's very hard. I mean, like if you go to a Bitcoin ATM, you're limited, say, to $15 a day, $15,000 a day in cash out. So if you've got $4.5 billion to unload, there's, there's really no easy way to do it. You see, Bitcoin's not as anonymous as you might think because every transaction is on the public blockchain ledger. So when those 2,000 transactions, illicit transactions were made from Bitfinex back in 2016, the feds could track exactly what wallets the, the Bitcoin was transferred to, and then they could watch those wallets and look for any transactions from those wallets. And that's the thing. So the transactions in the wallet... So it's they they say Bitcoin is pseudo anonymous and that nobody really knows who owns that wallet address. The person it's the person who has the uh, the private key for that wallet that owns it, but and nobody knows who it is until they try to convert it to cash, and uh, and this couple discovered that they really couldn't quite do it. But they were living high on the hog. I mean, uh, they both quit their jobs and they could get enough money that they they moved to New York and were living quite. Uh, Quite the life. Um, I think uh, Heather decided she was going to become a rap star. Oh, yeah. She had talent. She had talent. The <laughs> problem, Doc, is not that she lacks talent. Um, of course, that's to be judged by the beholder, but that you can only find 11 seconds in, the, <laughs> in this song that she did <laughs> that I could actually put on the radio. Yeah. Spirit of a revolutionary power of a dictator. Love to be contrary, but I'm fly like a gator. I've got pilot blood. I'm a real risk taker. Pirate riding the flood. Badass money maker. And that's about as far as I could go. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she called herself the Crocodile of Wall Street. She yeah. went all over doing these video, doing these rap videos all over, all oh over New York. Now, what what happened was, <clears throat> they because of that gift card, uh, that five hundred dollar gift card, they actually raided their apartment in New York City. And when they raided the apartment in New York City. They managed to get access to the safe that was in the apartment, 
And inside the safe were the private keys of all of the uh, Bitcoin wallets where they transferred the money to it. So using those private keys, they were able to recover $3.6 billion worth of the uh, stolen Bitcoin. And, uh, and they have now in the process of trying to send it back to the correct owners. So there you go. That's an interesting, interesting story. But let's go, let's go a little bit to some of the news which is relating to specifically uh, Ukraine. Uh, Wikipedia has got a lot of news relating to uh, Ukraine. And Russia doesn't like to do it. Russia has sent a letter to Wikimedia, and they have asked, and they have asked Wikipedia to actually take down all of the what they call false claims about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, because actually Wikipedia's got actually the truth of what's really going on, because people from within Ukraine are posting to Wikipedia. And on March 1st, 2022, Wikimedia Foundation received a Russian government demand to remove the content relating to the unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, and Wikipedia rejected that request. And Wikipedia's response was really right spot on. Wikipedia is an important source of reliable, factual information. In recognition of this role, we will not back down in the face of efforts to censor or intimidate us. We will stand by our mission to deliver free knowledge to the world. Bravo, Wikipedia. And people within China, they're, China uh, Russia's blocking Wikipedia, but, but what's going to happen if you get a, on a VPN, you can actually bypass that block. So people are using VPNs from within uh, Russia to, to look at Wikipedia and get the, uh, get the latest news. The other thing that, that this, that, that's a whole thing prompted there in Ukraine is Ukrainians are turning to the encrypted messaging app Signal. That's got end-to-end -end encrypted messages. Uh, signal usage in Ukraine shot up after midnight on February 24th. Now, the Russian invasion began about the same time, with multiple reports detailing the cybersecurity threat that Russian forces posed to Ukraine. It's pretty understandable that they decided to start using the signaling app to talk, especially I'd say the government is using the signaling app. Now, using signal, of course, is not the only digital security step that they could take uh, to keep to ensure their private communications aren't blocked. Uh, people can use uh, downloaded, began downloading Tor. That's the free privacy preserving internet browsing service. That's the onion router, T-O-R. So if you download Tor and surf the web with Tor, people can't track you down as easily. So there was a high download of Tor there in Ukraine, I suspect in Russia too, so that they can get around all of the um, all the uh, internet censorship. So these tools are really good for the common man to stay online. Now, Elon Musk was worried that Russia would bring down the internet completely in Ukraine. So he offered to provide internet service using the SpaceX satellite. So he redirected his satellites over, so they pass over Ukraine. And he could provide uh, real-time internet service using, uh, using, his, uh, using his satellite dishes. He started sending uh, 
the, uh, the, the satellite reception dishes uh, equipment over to Ukraine. The first shipment has already been received. He's donating to Ukraine, actually. And people can set these up. They'll automatically lock on the satellite, and you'll be on the Internet, even if Internet is down in Ukraine. I mean, that's quite an amazing thing. Now, Elon Musk said, uh, but be careful. Uh, it could well be that if you set up a SpaceX uh, satellite link, you'll be the only person with Internet in your community. So if you set that up, because you have to set it up outside, he said, I would advise you to put uh, camouflage cloth over it and— uh, uh, and only turn it on when you're using it so they can't, uh, you know, pick you up with uh, any kind of tracer signal. So a lot of stuff going on there in Ukraine, and uh, hopefully the people are going to survive. Doc, do you have any idea how big the uh, SpaceX satellite dishes are? Are they kind of the kind that people put on their balconies anyway? Uh, yeah, they're, they're small. Yeah. Uh -huh. They're small. They're, they're about uh, they're about a— uh, <clears throat> They're about uh, 18 inches, I think. And and the and the problem typically with the satellite dishes is you've got to align them. You know, you got to point them and align them. And these things auto-align. You just turn them on and they start scanning and they lock on the satellites. Oh, that's remarkable. Now, yeah. Now this is uh, the, the the satellite link that Musk has. It's low latency um, uh, because these are low Earth orbit as opposed to geosynchronous. The geosynchronous satellites are 22,000 miles out and they're stationary. So uh, a lot of the satellite systems use geosynchronous orbits. And if you get internet with a geosynchronous, you've got to go out 22,000 miles and back 22,000 miles and you've got a lot of latency. These are low earth orbit satellites. And, and so what happens is constantly you're transferring uh, the signal from one satellite to another to another as they pass over you. And then the satellites have, uh, have basically laser communication between them so they can actually relay back to another part of the world a, a satellite signal. And they might not have to come down to a ground station, you know, uh, you know quite a distance away from you. So it's actually quite, quite a good service. His, his Elon Musk's goal is to actually provide Internet for the world, especially in, in developing countries. So this is actually, I think, a huge, a huge development. Now, there is another big thing going on in technology now relating to third generation cellular. Now, the carriers are, are shutting down their 3G systems. They're, they're gradually phasing them out. Most of, most, we're mostly on fourth gen system now. LTE is a fourth gen generation system. Uh, and the, uh, the next version is going to be 5Gen, which includes the mid-band frequencies from uh, 3.7 gigahertz to 4 gigahertz. And that band uh, is where we get the, sort of the high throughput for 5G. But, uh, but they're phasing out the old 3G networks as they're bringing out 5G. So like in, Feb in late February of this year, AT&T phased out its 3G network. T-Mobile is going to phase out their 3G network July 4th, uh, uh, July 1st. Uh, they're going to phase out their old Sprint, the old Sprint CDMA network will, will sunset March 31st, 2022. Verizon is going to phase out their 3G December 31st of 2022. Now, most people have a cell phone. You're on 4G anyway. You don't it, it, you don't really need the 3G. So what what difference does it make? Well. It makes a big difference to your car. 
makes a big difference to your car because you know all that you know remote control on your car remote turning on your car locking your car emergency connection to your car all of a lot of cars use 3g because it was the cheapest cellular connection that they could get and so they were uh, and so a lot of cars are going to lose capacity when when 3g phases out now fortunately many of those cars will actually allow you to upgrade and you can do an over-the-air upgrade because you, you don't need a new radio. You just need new signal processing. So some of the vendors have over-the-air upgrades that will upgrade to 4G. But you have to do that upgrade before the cellular network drops out. Now, other, other car manufacturers are going to provide upgrades. You can go to the dealer and you can, uh, for instance, uh, Tesla is going to is going to you can schedule an upgrade for $200 with Tesla. Volkswagen has a third-party solution where you can do upgrade for $295. Uh, Honda uh, it's uh, you got to put a whole hardware upgrade. They're going to charge you $900. So, I would advise anybody with a with a car that is older than say 2018. The the cars that are newer than 2018 mostly are using 4G older than 2018, check with your dealer about 3G loss and what kind of upgrade is available to you. That's, uh, that would be certainly, certainly worth doing. Listen, we love your emails. Uh, uh, and you can always email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We also really like you to check out the Stratford programs on the Stratford website. Go to www.stratford.edu. Check out our nursing programs, our health sciences programs, healthcare administration programs, our cybersecurity programs, computer networking programs, software engineering programs, business administration programs, accounting programs, culinary art programs, hospitality programs. We have degrees that go from associate all the way to the master's. And tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.